Hi, and welcome to Showcast. Today, I'm speaking with two specialists in the fields of real-time design, Elba Sokabi and Ginger Lee. Educator and entrepreneur Elbers wrote the Bible on Touch Designer. When he's not working on projects in outer space, he's running the Interactive Immersive HQ, a community platform for all things interactive and immersive. Last month, Elbers ran the Interactive Immersive Challenge, which invited designers to create projects in front of a live stream audience and panel of judges. Ginger Lee, aka Synthestruct, is an Orlando-based interactive and audiovisual designer. She wowed the judges in the competition's integration challenge with her clever combination of Notch, Touch and Ableton. Join us as we discuss the powerful combination of Notch and Touch, the future of real-time and hashtag Arminfest. I'm Kat Kemsley and this is The Notch Showcast. Hi Elvis. hi Ginger. Hello, thank you for having us. So first off, Ginger, I believe congratulations are in order. You were voted Best Visual Artist in the Best of Orlando. Thank you. Yeah, that was really exciting. Um, They just announced the results and I won Best Visual Artist in Orlando. Um, I'm based in Orlando, so I've worked with a lot of galleries here over the years and I've done several public installations and uh, I have a permanent installation at the Orlando Science Center as well. <laughs> Another laurel to add to the belt after your recent interactive immersive challenge win. So today we're going to be kind of discussing the interactive immersive challenge, which was produced and hosted by Elbers. Elbers, a massive hats off to you for putting on a competition like this. It's no easy feat. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, I've been involved in events for a very long time as the, like the development side and the technology side, but I've never run an event. That's a whole, I, th- I now I understand why there's people that have this as their like full-time job. It is a full-time job, which we learned at Notch when we tried to put on NotchCon. Oh, I can and, imagine. Uh, yeah. You know, for us, it was just, we really want to do a big community thing. The reality is it, it's really hard to sell stuff right now. And just being in the position that we were, we thought, you know what, we have the resources to put on like a really cool community event. What do we want to do? And we've been, you know, really into esports ourselves, like personally, just like watching those, seeing those grow. And we thought, like, why can't we bring that same thing to to our industry, right? Like, we're working with tech, we're working with art, we're working with cool stuff. Um, why can't we have that same exciting vibe that like esports has? And it seems like you did achieve that sense of community. I was watching your interview, Ginger, with Isabel Rousset on Touch Designer in Session. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that um, on the chats, like you and the other competitors were discussing your process or giving each other advice whilst you were competing against each other. Yeah. So um, there was a discord that we were all part of that uh, before each of the challenges was announced, you know, we had a lot of time to just hang out and talk and everything. And everybody's so supportive and, you know, wishing each other good luck during the competition and everything. And then after each challenge, um, then we got to talk about, you know, what was really fun about it, what we decided to do and, and different background and stuff. And so it was really cool just being able to, and I, I mentioned that was my favorite part. I think, well, the competition, don't get me wrong. The competition was definitely really awesome to be part of. And, but the behind the scenes, I think that that really brought it all together. Um, because without that community aspect, it's really difficult because then it's just kind of like you're showing up just all by yourself. There's no connection with anybody, you know, and you're just doing your thing, but having that behind the scenes, 
and being able to talk with the other competitors and then also being able to interact with the people that are watching the championship through the uh, Twitch chat and being able to interact with them. Like all of that really brought it together and just made being part of the championship really special. Is there a lot of people that you already knew? I would say about 50-50. There were um, definitely some people that I knew, um, but there were a lot of people that I hadn't interacted with before. And so um, definitely through that, then, you know, you add everybody on Instagram and you get to see their work and everything and, and through talking with them more during the Discord. So now I know everybody that was part of it. It's quite a nice way to remote network as well or make, make some new connections to put definitely. it in a more corporate sense. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> And you guys both spoke or presented at the Touch Designer Summit in 2019. Is that how you two know each other? That's a good question. Ginger, I don't remember how we met. Was it at last summit? I think we officially met. But I think I, think I we had been signed up for the back and forth HQ before. along, which was before the summit, right? You started at the HQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before. So I had, uh, that would have been early 2019, I think. Yeah. When Elbers first started doing the, the HQ, the interactive immersive HQ, I had signed up for that. And I believe that's how I first got to know. But I mean, Elbers is all over the place. So I, I knew his name. Like this, the second I started getting into touch designer, I mean, like he wrote the original book on it and you can't Google how to do something in uh, touch designer without his name coming up. So, uh, I definitely knew of Elbers. Yeah. And then uh, we met for the first time in person at the uh, TD Summit. Before we kind of go too much into like all this stuff that you're doing now, um, sometimes I like to look back. Well, I always like to look back and find out a bit more about where you came from, how you got to where you are today. And with you guys, it's actually been a real journey. I feel, you know, partly like I know you, partly like a little bit of a stalker as there's quite a lot online um mm. about you guys so it's been real fun you probably found some crazy stuff <laughs> so, like hilarious stuff nothing too um how should i say compromising i've not found anything compromising no, yeah, yeah. hilarious <laughs> in a positive way um but look, very positive very insightful so one thing i i have read a quote from you ginger um where you describe visualizing music videos in your head as a kid Mm. And this really resonated with me as it's something I did all the time as a kid. And it eventually manifested itself as a desire to make music videos. Um, for you, how has this translated into coding and creating sensory experiences? So basically, just to go with that, yeah, when I was a kid, um, I used to love visualizing music. You know, as I got older, that basically translated into finding different ways to visualize the things that I saw in my head, which is always a challenge. You know, you, you see things in your head, but getting them out in, in the closest form possible is always very difficult. And so I absolutely loved the idea of these very logical, um, you know, written lines of code that would then create something visual. So it's mixing together the creative with the, the logical aspect of it. Once I started getting into real time, I was absolutely obsessed with the idea of things changing in the moment as opposed to rendering something out and then that being set in stone. So I loved that tie between um, the real time and being able to influence and affect things that are happening, um, especially through audio. And for me, because there's such a close connection between uh, what I hear and what I see visually, because um, I, I think you probably read that um, I'm synesthetic in the regards that like I see sound as uh, shapes and spatial relationships and um, personalities. And so for me, it's really important to try and capture that as closely as possible. So, ah, And has synesthesia inspired your pseudonym? 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you, you may have seen, um, there's a couple of them on Vimeo. Um, I worked with, uh, beatboxer Reeves One, um, was one of the main projects that I did where he sent me a, a track of him beatboxing. And, um, we were both really into cymatics at the time, which is taking water to visualize sound. And, um, so when he sent me the track, I think originally we kind of thought that I was going to do the cymatics with it, but the more that I listened to it, um, it, it didn't come across where the cymatics could do the nuances visually that I wanted. So I ended up going frame by frame and creating geometric shapes that I saw in my head and literally frame by frame, placing the individual geometric shapes for the entire song to accurately capture what I was seeing in my head. Yeah, that is like a, a labor of love there as well, yeah. or passion. <laughs> yeah, but see, it's a discord. If it doesn't, if it doesn't match up properly, you know, and I'm sure everybody experiences this is if you see something and then the sound doesn't quite line up, like you, you see something that sh- <laughs> maybe this doesn't make sense, but if you see something that should be um, visually placed higher up on the screen, but then it's lower, the interesting part is it actually creates like this difference in the perception where the sound will actually um, be perceived as like a sour note if the if the shape doesn't line up the way that it should. So it, it, there's a really close connection and people might not realize it when they're experiencing it if it's done well. So if it's done well, the, the audio and the visuals go really well together and you have this um, heightened experience between the, the two sensations. But if it's off, then you can really feel that tension between the two. You have a superpower. Um <laughs> How, how old were you when you discovered or you, uh, do you discover or are you diagnose with synesthesia? Is it something you just kind of find out via like Reddit? Um, it was actually pretty recent, to be honest. Um, I went to Music Tech Festival. Um, basically, Music Tech Fest brings together so many talented um, musicians and artists and coders and um, basically people who are dabbling with a lot of different areas and bringing them together and through their I met people who are like, oh, I'm synesthetic. And, and I asked more questions about him. Like, oh, I have that, I guess. And so I guess I'm synesthetic. And so the more that I asked about it, I realized that, that we had these commonalities and, oh, that I guess there's a word for it. And I just always, um, since I was younger, experienced it, but didn't really realize that there was a, an actual word for it. And, um, I know that. While you're at U, well, I assume it's while you're at uni. You, you studied at um, Orlando, Florida, in arts and digital media, and kind of around that time, you started putting on a club night called Destruction, mm-hmm. which you also <laughs> DJed at. Oh man, you did do your research! Wow. <laughs> um, was this your kind of entry point into creating visual shows? Yeah, so this was definitely a really important point because, um, so yeah, I went to uh, UCF for digital media, and then. Uh, I loved going out to the club because, um, obviously I love music. And for me, that, like that physical expression of dancing was really important. I loved it. And so, um, it kind of evolved where, um, one thing led to another and I was running my own club night, which I was DJing at and doing all the promotion and eventually booking bands and stuff. Um, but through that, yeah, that became a moment where it's where I realized that I loved orchestrating experiences and, and, I carry that forward, obviously, into all of the experiences that I do now is is figuring out how all of those different pieces come together for that final experience. Elbers, your entry point into the industry was kind of similar in that you also entered via music. So when you Mm -hmm. subscribe to the Immersive Interactive HQ newsletter, you're greeted by a fantastic photo of you with your trombone. 
Oh, um, I totally forgot about that. That one's hilarious. <laughs> that one's with me. That's me in the suit. But yeah, sorry. Keep going. Oh, no, I, I was going to say, if you aren't subscribed to the newsletter, I suggest that you go and do so just for that photo alone. And the industry news and free resources are an added perk. But so basically, Elvis, you you, uh, you transitioned from classical music into the electronic scene. Is this where things started to get techie? You know, yeah, I came from a classical music background. And actually, even before that, I can preface by saying, uh, you know, I loved video games as a kid. And... Man, I would, you know, like World of Warcraft, you know, I would 10 hours a day. That was like normal for me for a while, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, you know, even before I got into music, I had this like love of these gaming experiences. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll go into like software development and be a game developer. Now, at that point in time, which whoa, was like 15 years ago, 16 years ago. It, it really wasn't the easy to get into like pop-off industry it was now. So at that point, I was like, well, I don't know about that. And my folks were like, oh, well, you know, you know, coming from a parental point of view, like if your kid's playing too much video games, you probably will be like, I don't know about that game development thing. It sounds like you're trying to play more video games. Um, and they kind of like steered me into doing like all these other activities in my spare time, like music, martial arts and these kind of things. And I really got a love for music. I went down that road of, of going into classical music, went to university for it quickly realized that, you know, the, there's that old joke about classical music, which is that um, it's dead people's music played for old people by young people. And I think either you have to, you ride or die with that, or you get out of the industry real quick. And for me, the option was get out of the industry real quick. And I had left, you know, partway through my degree as a classical trombone soloist. You know, that's, that's the funny picture you're referencing is one of my trombone soloist headshots. Uh, in the newsletter when you sign up. But I was always just open to the experiences that were coming my way. Similar to, the, to what Ginger was mentioning, right? You just kind of look for things that you do when you move towards the things you like more than the things you don't like. And at that time, like I was doing a lot of electronic music production and composition and doing these shows with our friends. And I realized like, oh man, I, I'd really love to have these sweet graphics or light shows or all these like crazy things happening in our show, like all these cool acts that I'm seeing, you know, Amon Tobin's iSam had just dropped. And that was Plastic at Mutech as well, wasn't it? The, that I was there. I was there for that. Yeah. And it was amazing, like being there, seeing iSam happen, being there for Plastic Man, like coming back. And that was the you first know, was time like, that you experienced Touch Designer, am I right? That that show was put together on, on, on Touch Designer? Exactly, and- yeah. It immediately and my mind said, I want to do that. And they're both using this one app like that, like what no brainer. I'm going to learn that app. And, you know, that quickly unfolded into a whole career of touch designer. What I found interesting is that neither of you choose to, just to describe yourselves as artists. Um, <laughs> Ginger, you, you've said um, in previous interviews that you prefer the title interactive and audiovisual designer. Um, why is this distinction important to you? I think labels have always been really hard for me because um, I've just noticed that whenever I try to say like, I am, and then fill in the blank with a word, it, it's really hard to own certain labels. And I've just never really felt like, even though I create art, like I've never really felt like saying I am an artist really fully defines the scope of what I do. I guess that's why I avoid saying the word artist because even though what I do is create art, 
there's also a lot of other aspects to it. So, you know, obviously there's working with coding and, and interactive design and there's psychology that goes into thinking about the experiences and there's, you know, all these different things that go into it that really it dabbles in so many different areas that I just feel like the word artist doesn't really sum up the the extent of what it is that I do. I guess same same goes for you, Elvis. You're definitely a bit of a multi-hyphenate. Yeah, I would say like, and similarly with Ginger, but I, I mine is almost more practical, is that I was never really good at visual art. Like, I, <laughs> I suck at drawing. I can't sketch to save my life. I, you know, I always joke about in like the workshops, like how bad I am at C4D. Um, and it's kind of one of the reasons why I like Notch so much is it really made that process of like visual development so much easier for me and in a manner and method that was already so familiar to me in that like the node based environment that's real time. And yeah, I would say, you know, like one of the big, I don't call myself an artist because at a certain point, if I even just look at my, you know, day to day life, very little of it is the creation of art. And for me, just practically, like a lot of it's teaching now with the interactive uh, immersive HQ. A lot of it is still just doing some development work here and there and consulting. A lot of it is kind of my side projects that I work on. So at a certain point, I think it would almost be... So I could see Ginger definitely could call herself an artist because she makes very amazing art. But if you looked at, like, if you did a Google search for Elber's art, just very little is going to come up. So at that point, I think it would be weird. (laughs) Yeah, it would be kind of... You know, I should do Elber's.art. I got to go buy that domain after. But, um... (laughs) Yeah, you know, see, like, that's a good example. Like, what artists would be thinking about domains to buy, like, all the time? I think, though, that, like, the thing with labels is that, um... I think there's kind of like two sides to it is that there's, there's labels that we apply to ourselves that, that we feel like applies to us. But then there's also using labels that other people can understand what it is that we're saying. Like, you know, I've sat next to people on the airplane and they're like, Oh, what do you do? And there's that, you know, you have to pause like, okay, um, without using pictures, which is always the best. I think like once you can actually show them in pictures what you do, but there's always a challenge, you know, with people in our industry that do what we do with so many different things to try and describe it. So um, I think a lot of it is context. So in the right context, you know, I could say I'm an artist and that would easily explain to somebody what it is that I do. Um, but it would also be leaving a lot out of like, you know, the, the details behind it and what goes into it. So I think that there's things that I like to use to describe myself. And then there's the labels that we use to be able to communicate with other people more easily. So I'd like to say that, um, Elvis, you give a very practical workflow to deciding on how to label yourself or your business in the, your talk that you uh, give at the Touch Designer conference on how to make a living with Touch Designer. Uh, so that's also very helpful for anyone out there who's unsure of how to describe what it is they do to other people. Just to shill that talk, I think that's the mo- one of the most important pieces of work I've like ever done was putting that talk together. And even to this day, I'm still like refining it. It was really from that context of if I had to tell somebody how to build a career in this industry, how could I lay out that process? And it's by no means perfect, but I think it's a really great place for people to look at exactly what Ginger's saying, right? Like that that idea of how do you explain yourself, right? One thing I would label you guys as is you're both educators so we've kind of spoken about the touch workshops that you've run um you both hosted seminars what what inspires you guys to start teaching 
I think teaching is just really appealing to me and just the, the transfer of knowledge and, and working with other people on a, on a more intimate basis in that context. Yeah. And I'd say from my point of view, there's like a couple of different things that really always drove me to teach. You know, when I started 10 years ago, there was no, you know, couldn't go to school for touch designer. And, you know, one of the really amazing parts of my career was just the amazing relationship and friendship I've had with Derivative, uh, who's the company that makes touch designer. And, you know, like when we talk about all these things like the championship and this community feeling, you know, th this comes from the top down. It comes from them, right? Like when I was starting out and I was young and I literally didn't know what compositing meant. And even at that early stages, they invited me out to the office, come say hi, get to know us. You know, they, they brought me onto a few little like little projects they had, kind of took me under their wing. And I feel like that sense of the indebted to the community, right? Like it, it wasn't just derivative, like even our forums are very helpful. Like all the folks that I've worked with all these years who've always supported me and I've supported them. I almost have this like sense of, of indebtedness to the educational process of I wouldn't have been able to get here without other people doing this. But also the other reason, which is funnier, is that I'm like kind of dumb. Like I'm not like some kind of like super wizard. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> and no, I swear, like my greatest quality is patience. Like I can just sit still for very long periods of time and not get angry that I don't know how stuff's working. And I feel like that really gave me a unique take on the educational side of things because I feel like a lot of people that are teaching are so good at stuff and come from a background of being good at this stuff that sometimes it can be hard for like a beginner to follow these things. You're just like, oh man, this person's using these words. I have no idea what they mean. And I felt like that was always a really nice thing about that I felt when I was creating a lot of educational material was, you know, and even the workshops now, like if you sign up for a workshop and it's about a topic, you can almost be certainly sure that I start the workshop even with stuff simply as like explaining what words mean that we're going to use in the <laughs> workshop. And because I, I remember, I, I have, and even today, like if I have to learn something new, I remember what it feels like to be shitty at something and to be totally new and totally outside of your comfort. And so the, that combined with the indebtedness, I think always made me like, you know, I'm indebted to do it. And also I feel like I have this interesting perspective on it that's really helpful for a lot of people. I think that that's... And then the... Sorry, oh, I was just going to say, I think that's one of the great things about teaching, though, is it really solidifies your knowledge on something. Because just even the process of, of organizing this information to be able to present it to other people, I don't know if you, you find this also, but putting yourself in the frame of mind to be able to explain things to other people, like really solidifies any questions that you might have, any gaps that you might have had in your mind about whatever topic you're teaching on. Do you find that? Yeah, totally. And I think it yeah, yeah, 100%. And I find it, it also exposes me sometimes when I'm like going through like workshop prep. And I'm like, Oh, my God, I don't like if somebody asks this, I have no idea how to do this. And then I have to like learn that thing. You mentioned earlier about um, being in the position of uh, learning, learning something new. And um, Elbers, you took the Notch Essentials course and intermediate training in Mexico with Armin. Uh, what was yeah. your experience at training like? Well, Armin is a gentleman and a scholar. Let me shout out <laughs> to Armin. And we should hold a festival for Armin. It's the Armin Fest, I think we should call it. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's going to happen now. Oh my gosh. I see that's the hashtag. Happen, yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Hashtag Armin Fest. Sponsored by Jägermeister. Um, uh-huh. Okay. Oh geez. Yeah. There we go. Um, it was a lot of fun. Learning Notch has been really interesting for me because of the similarities it has to Touch Designer and the differences it has in Touch Designer. Because I'll, I'll even say openly, like, I think I still had that stigma of, Oh man, like this is a, this is a competing software. Like 
no way I'm going to learn the other software. Like, no, I touch designer, ride or die. <laughs> and, you know, my good friend, Jose, who has Jose from Coco Lab was like, no, dude, like you're, you're really not looking at this the right way. They're, these aren't like competing softwares at all. These are totally different, but very complementary tools that work together in like this perfect harmony. And he'd been telling me for months, he's like, yo, bro, you got to like learn, you got to learn Notch. And he's like, look at this thing I made in like half an hour Notch. Like it would take you days or weeks to make this in touch. And I'm like, that's cool, bro. Like maybe one day if I'm really like free or on vacation, I'll like mess around with it. You know, I, I owe Josue a, a, a good bottle of mezcal for this because then seeing Armin go through everything, getting to meet Armin, Sarah and all the folks was really a, a great experience. You know, reminds me a lot of the same kind of vibe we get from the touch designer community where everyone's always like sharing stuff and nice and supportive. And and I think, you know, I, I probably sound like a little bit of a shill because this, this is like my new stance is that if you're a touch design developer, you should almost absolutely learn Notch. But I think it's it really, if 10 years ago, if Notch also existed and Touch existed at the same time, I would 100% learn both of them. Like there's no question in my mind that these are the two things you got to learn now. And, and I mean, maybe that's a, Ginger probably has experienced my shilling because <laughs> Ginger is a, you're more recently converted to Notch, probably because I I just don't shut up about it, right? Like I'm constantly like, yo, learn Notch. It makes the touch stuff easier. Through Elbers introducing the two of them side by side, um, I got very interested in working with Notch, and and especially now since I got the um, builder dongle from winning the uh, championship. So I've actually been using it to do some um, bring in a. Um, Mm. Uh, FBX file of a venue and do some, some mockups within it to visualize different projections and what the space would look like. So I found it was really great doing a lot of photorealistic previs with it. So, you know, so far, even within the past month that I've been using it, it's been really, um, great to have that as part of my workflow for sure. And I'd love to know kind of what advice you guys can give to a touch designer who's about to embark on their notch learning journey. Um, actually, I did have this question come up the other day. Uh, somebody sent me a message on Instagram asking about it um, because they had actually said that um, they thought that it was a little bit intimidating at first to them. Um, but what I found was really nice was that um, obviously I had seen uh, Elber's introduction to it. So that helped. But um, I went ahead and got the um, the learning dongle initially, um, which is really nice to be able to save projects and everything that you're working on. And then there's the uh, workshop that you guys had. The online essentials. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. I, and I found that was really helpful to dive in. And even after just that one couple hour workshop, I mean, that was incredibly informative just to navigate the space and to be able how, uh, to figure out how different things work together. And even just after a few hours, I felt really comfortable and not. So getting that and then going through the the essential course. And then, of course, you know, with the, the notch and touch designer integration specifically, Elbers has a lot of uh, material on that. And I felt really comfortable after just a few hours of working with it. Yeah, and I could kind of like talk about the other side of it, which I think is because a lot of the stuff that I hear is, is some of it's about price. Like, oh man, like Notch is expensive. Like, I don't know if we can afford it. Let me tell you, like the way I approach it is talking about the cost of Notch versus the cost of my time. You know, when I started out, time was the least priority, right? Like saving money, making money was the priority. So if something took me 20 hours a day and I had to work for two weeks to do it, cool. Because I'd rather do that than spend the money to buy the stuff that would make it easier. 
then you kind of get to the middle of your career after a couple years and you start to value your time a little bit more, but maybe you're still not working on gigs that are like paying enough to just straight up buy a bunch of Quadro RTX 6000s and Datapath FX4s that would make your life way easier. So you're still in that kind of negotiation between your time and spending money. But then I think really quickly you get to the point like where I'm at now and I think where a lot of people are, but they don't realize it, which is actually that time is your most valuable asset. You know, at a certain point, your time is so valuable because you could be doing business development, trying to get new gigs, having fun doing creative stuff, experimenting and doing R&D on your own. And when you compare all of those things versus spending a bit more money, it, uh, for me, it's a no-brainer, right? And I think I, I hope that a lot of people will start to see that of their own skills and abilities of how valuable their time is that, you know what, like losing a few grand on a project, not like, you know, don't go in the red, please. But I mean, like, you know, instead of making 10,000 bucks on a project, you make six because you had to buy licenses and gear. Well, if that means that the project takes half as much time or half as much headache, it's worth it because then with all that time, and that's called an opportunity cost for, for folks out there interested in business, like the opportunity costs are so huge, I think, as you get further into your career that taking up new tools that are going to make your workflow easier, using better hardware that's more expensive, all these things become a no-brainer. Albers, you've described your career as uh, one little step going forward at a time. And as well as establishing Envoid and Interactive Immersive HQ, you also founded Function Core, um, Ooh, yeah. which is a transdisciplinary global collective with a mission to solve the seemingly unsolvable. <laughs> Sounds like a great mm -hmm. series. And this includes like moonsho moonshot projects, which I'm sorry, Armin, yep. are not alcoholic beverages. Um, oh, but they're burn. projects which look <laughs> far into the future. Um, and I'm curious to know, Elbers, as a professed futurist, what do you see the future of real-time design looking like? That's an so interesting question. Um, I think... If I had to look into the future, what I, and even, you know, because one of the big things about future studies is don't look to the future without looking to the past first, right? And even looking over my career, I've seen the way we're going and I know where we're going in the future. And it, it makes some people uncomfortable and it makes lots of people super comfortable. And that's the idea that technology is going to become easier. And you even go back 10 years, touch designer was super hard to learn, right? You basically just had to talk to people to learn touch designer. There was some forum posts, there was some wiki stuff. Otherwise, you're just sitting still in front of a computer learning touch designer. Fast forward five years after that, you know, me and Matthew Reagan are, are writing constantly online, making tutorials, doing workshops. Fast forward five years after that, man, we got touch designer in universities. Lots of people are doing workshops. We got touch designer summits. There was a time where I was frustrated that young people could get into this easy and then focus on making great art, even though I had struggled so hard and spent so much time just to get the technology side up and running. Because, I, hey, listen, I will tell you straight up that when I got into this industry, I was so into the art and I would have called myself an artist, but it was so hard to do the technology and I had to focus on it so much that I had to leave that artist somewhere behind in time, you know? What we, I think originally a lot of us wanted to do, which was how creative can we be? What kind of cool experiences can we make? How can we really move people? How can we tell a story, send a message? I think we're heading there at, at a pace that is going to be really disruptive for a lot of folks, like in my kind of era of learning touch designer, where you kind of got gigs because you were really good. 
And in the soon future, I could even see in like two years, three years, like it won't be that you can get gigs because you're really good at touch designer anymore, right? It'll be about what cool thing can you make and what is that creativity that you're bringing to the table? Oh, and then you use touch designer like cool, right? Like whatever, like, oh, you use Windows, like, you know, it'll be like that kind of thing. So I think that's like, if, if I look forward into our industry, I see that and then like a big, big, big focus on cross-pollination. You know, from 2010 to 2016, 17, you could have been an only touch designer developer and been very successful. Like I, I'm an example of that. I only know touch designer and I was very successful. Then came 2017, 18, 19, 20. And all of a sudden, like we're, we're really transitioning away from these monolithic platforms and into a world of these protocols that allow all these different apps to shine. And, and now I think that's even going to exaggerate itself where in the future, like I'd say probably like three years, maybe even two, three, three, four, five, that kind of like range, you won't be able to get a job if you only know one of these tools. Like it would be very hard to get a job just knowing not your touch. I think at a certain point you have to start being pretty good at a bunch of things. And that was my short answer. Sorry. That was like, <laughs> that, that was the short answer. I don't know. I'll leave it there though. But Ginger, what do you think? Like where, where, where are we, where are we headed? Oh, you're just going to throw it right over to me. Um, no, I agree with obviously a lot of what you said. Um, I was thinking the, the artist side of it. I really like experimenting with a lot of new technologies and, and kind of trying out new things and testing out, mm. you know, if a new sensor comes out, like, you know, different ways that you can use it. Or one of the things, I guess the core of what I'm interested in is like during live performances and interactive experiences is exploring ways that we connect to the work and the ways in which we interact with it and drive the changes, whether it's visually or sound, um, which leads overall to, you know, how we experience whatever that intended experience is. So I think that's the core of really what I'm interested in. And that's obviously going to continue to change as different ways that we can communicate and send data to the computer in real time and uh, cause drive these changes visually and uh, experientially. So definitely a lot of what you said, I completely agree. And a lot of it for sure applies to the type of projects that I do. Um, but I think there's also the element that it, it does continue to always evolve as new um, technology comes out and then artists explore ways of using that technology in, in experimental um, applications. I'm purposefully not opening my mouth because it'll just keep going, right? Like, I, agree. <laughs> I agree with everything you said, but if, if I start talking, I, they, I can't stop it, right? What I've established from this is that we should do this again yeah. because we can talk for hours, basically. But I have uh, one final question before we wrap things up. And that is, what is on the horizon for you both? Elbers, are you tempted to write the Bible on Notch? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. Like, you know, um, something I, I've realized since those days is that a lot of folks don't like reading stuff, mm. uh, which is why we, you know, I still write because it's like a, a passion of mine. Like, I just love writing. And there's a certain kind of archival element to writing. Like, I write those things and they're there and they're not going to disappear and the video is not going to get corrupted or anything like that. But we do realize the the kind of future is a lot more like media, like video courses, audio courses, things like this. So I think on our future is, you know, solving some big problems in our industry is, is I think what we're working on at the Interactive and HQ, Interactive Immersive HQ, sorry. And, um, you know, one of those is this idea of how do you represent yourself 
as someone in this industry, right? Like, how do you say, I know these things? How does somebody verify that you know these things? Like, that's a big challenge that we're working on right now. And I think, you know, coming into our future, both immediate and in that kind of like midterm, those are the kind of things that we're tackling. And so touch design or notch are, are part of those for sure. But the bigger overarching thing is like, how do we not only like do these workshops and show people how to use this, but then how do we empower them to represent that they know these kind of things? How do we create some kind of standardization in the industry for how these things are received, both on the hiring end and on the getting gigs end of thing? So that's, I think, you know, what's racking my brain a lot these days and kind of what we're working on. You know, obviously, we'll probably be doing more of these championships. Uh, we do need a little bit of a break, though, before we start thinking about the next one. But um, yeah, you know, like a lot of the stuff we're, we're talking about internally and working on are all these things that are really, you know, at a certain point, they're still touch designer focused, they're notch focused, but then they also grow into that bigger aspect of like, what does our industry need? And how do we provide that knowing that we have the resources and the bandwidth to kind of try and push a lot of these things forward? And Ginger, I know you mentioned to Isabel um, in your touch designer in session that you've got a few projects coming up, but they are under NDA. <laughs> Anything else <laughs> you want to you want to share that you got coming up? I can talk about in general what's on the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, definitely some exciting projects that I will be able to talk about soon um, that is related to science. I can say that. And uh, one of the reasons that's exciting to me is because, you know, I have so many different in interests. So um in all of the work that I do, I try to bring together as many different things I'm interested in as possible so that I can explore all those things at once. Um, so on the horizon, um, yeah, I come from a background of I've done full dome performances, uh, live audiovisual performances, um, interactive installations for science centers, um, a lot of different things. And so continuing to go in that direction, I love doing large format um performances, but also experiences that are meaningful. And so on the horizon, I would like to go more in the direction of continuing to find um, things that are fun and engaging, but also, you know, whether it's educational or there's a takeaway from it, I like having that element of there being a meaning behind it, which is, of course, different for every person. So what does that mean that, you know, there's a meaning behind it? But um, that's why I'm really excited about going in the direction of using hard science as the core of installations, because, you know, a lot of times we do things that are inspired by science or inspired by math or inspired by these different elements, but actually being able to... Um, do a lot of research. And there's definitely, I mean, I can say now there's been a lot of research diving into the science behind what I'm working on now. And it's really enjoyable to me because then it gives me that excuse to learn about the science behind it, which I love doing, you know, diving in and reading more about it. And um, if I was only doing that on my free time, then of course it would feel like, okay, I need to be working on other things. You know, I can't just keep reading these uh, science books and, and get distracted. But the fact that, you know, I'm reading it with the reward of them being able to translate that into an experience is, uh, is really exciting for me. Well, I have, I have so many questions for you <laughs> on um, your full dome uh, work. Um, but I guess we'll just have to save them for another time, perhaps a, a future project, which... Um, Part two. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been a real pleasure talking to you both. Time has flown and I really appreciate you taking the time out to have a chat with me today. And I'm looking forward to doing it again at some point in the future. Thank you. This is Thanks for fun. having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure.
out Ginger's work by heading over to her website www.synthestruct.com or by following her on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Synthestruct. If you want to find out more about the Interactive Immersive HQ, head over to interactiveimmersive.io and make sure you sign up for their newsletter. Next week, I'm joined by Urs Neufenegger of Studio One. Urs shares his technical expertise in virtual production for the event and broadcast industry. Here's a little taster of the show. A lot actually has changed uh, because a whole industry has been pushed into this virtual production thing, extended reality, whatever you, you name it. It was around before, but now it's a necessity because of the social distancing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>